0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: God wants you to believe the truth so that you might walk in love. And what is he referring to here? It is only when we believe godly doctrine, that is the revelation that God gives to us in his word, Only then, through that doctrine, that truth, are we going to be able to demonstrate the love of God to others. In other words, that we'll be able to behave in a proper way. What we believe is extremely important. And that is one of the reasons that the enemy, and I'm speaking about the Antichrist, that he is against truth. He attacks God-given doctrine. He does not want you to believe the truth of God's revelation. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to John's second epistle, a rather short letter, just 13 verses, and we're going to see that one of the things that is attacked by the enemy is the divinity of Yeshua, that he truly is god among us, God incarnate. And I have said over and over that if one denies that, then he is not a child of God, he is not a disciple of Yeshua, he does not know the truth, and he will not be walking in love, but he will be an instrument of deceit like the one that he belongs to, and that is the Antichrist. Now, many times people say, concerning me, that I see the end times in almost every chapter of the Bible. And I do here because the Antichrist is mentioned. And obviously, and I don't think there's any debate about this, when we speak about the work of the Antichrist primarily, Now, although the spirit of the Antichrist is at work and has been for for 2,000 years or more, and even though there's a scripture that says that the Antichrist is at work now in the person, for the most part, we want to accurately point out that it's going to be in the last days when he's going to be revealed. He is going to rise up as the leader of a world empire. And that world empire is going to be blasphemous in nature. It is going to be about deceit, and falsehood, it is going to attack the truth, and the primary truth that it's going to attack is the identity of Yeshua. Why? Because the enemy knows if you don't believe the truth concerning Yeshua, then you're not going to be saved and you're not going to be used by God for a glorious purpose, meaning you're not going to submit to his will. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to John's second epistle. It begins here in verse 1, the elder. Now, this is the author, and most scholars believe that the elder is indeed John himself. So, in verse 1, the elder to the elected, and this next word is very important. It's a word kurios, but it's in the feminine, not the masculine. And therefore, when it's in the masculine, kurios, it speaks about the Lord, meaning the Lord God, or our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, or it can be used as a term of great respect for sir, or for one who is a ruler, a master over someone else. But here it's in the feminine form, and a word in English that is used to show respect towards a woman is the title lady. Now, what I want us to see here is that this elder, John, is writing to this this lady, this elected lady, meaning that she has been chosen by God. And there's great debate among the commentators. Who is this lady? Are we speaking about truly a female, a woman that was alive back then that had a family? Or are we speaking about the body of believers, the congregation of the redeemed, the concept of the church? Now, some would say, well, the church is not a building. I would agree with them. It is people. Therefore, when it says, her children, as we'll see in a moment, this is the real body of believers, and that's true. I would suggest to you, when he speaks about this elected lady, he's speaking about the body of believers, that institution, known frequently in English with the word church, the ecclesia, those who have been called out but it's speaking more towards the institution. And then later on, it speaks about those who are part of that local assembly. So we read here, the elder to the elected lady and to her children, whom I love in truth. Now, it points out that if we're going to truly love Having that sacrificial love, that word here, speaks to that. The term that many of you know, the agape love, it speaks about a sacrificial love, a love that involves giving. We we being willing to suffer for, for the betterment of someone else being a godly influence, having a proper impact upon another. So John says, too, I would say this this institution known as the body of believers, those who have been called out of this world. And we're speaking about the institution, this elected lady, and the ones who belong to this institution, to the children, her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I alone, but also, All the ones who have recognized, who have known the truth. And this word for having known the truth is in the perfect tense. Meaning that we've come to know the truth in the past. We are still committed to that truth and we will continue into the future to be committed to the truth of God. To recognize it, acknowledge it, and implement it in our life. This is how we demonstrate love. We walk in truth. This is what John is emphasizing. And we're going to see in the first uh, four verses of this epistle that the word truth is going to appear no less than five times. So for John, the truth of God, his revelation is very important. And if we're not walking, meaning if we're not behaving according to the truth of God, we're not going to be walking in love, we're not going to be demonstrating, and hear this carefully, we won't be demonstrating the character of God as was expressed by the behavior, the deeds of Messiah. Look now to to verse 2. It says, on account of the truth remaining. Now, it's speaking about the truth which remains, remains in us and with us, it shall be forever, meaning into the age, and it's probably referring to into the kingdom age, meaning it is going to continue, it's relevant now, we are called to walk in the truth, acknowledge it, have that proper doctrine, And it's going to continue, we know it, we knew it in the past, and we'll know it in the future and live according to it and find that same truth following us, being experienced in the kingdom of God. Verse 3, it will be with you, and now it's talking about how that truth is going to be with us and manifest itself through grace and mercy and and peace Now, grace and mercy are related to one another, and it's grace and mercy, God's grace working in you that you receive, that, that causes you to be merciful to others and bring about healing, restoration, or this word peace. so god's grace releases within me the capacity to be merciful to someone else being forgiving, thinking of them. Now, the Hebrew word for mercy is the same word for the woman's womb. And the womb will, will respond, it will change for what's best for that, that child inside of that mother's womb. And therefore, mercy does not think of ourselves, but it thinks about others, what's best for them. So God is speaking to us and saying, this truth is going to continue. It is a kingdom truth. It is a truth forever. It doesn't change because it is a perfect truth. And therefore, it will be with us, manifests itself through grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. So it's from Father, Father God. And why is God the Father being mentioned here? Very simply, because Father, that concept of Father, speaks of one who provides. So God provides the truth. That truth is going to bring us into being a recipient of God's grace, displaying his mercy, and also we see here establishing peace. And we know that this concept of peace is related to the will of God of God. This is the order. But the foundation, don't miss this, the foundation is truth. The truth that God provides. Then we read furthermore and from, not just from God the Father, but we're speaking about God who provides it, but he provides it by means of, it says, and from the Lord, Messiah Yeshua, the Son of the Father. And he provides that In truth, in love, meaning in truth and in love. So we receive the love of God by receiving the truth of God. God manifested his love through Yeshua, through that gospel message, the work that he did. He was the one that did the work that that released God's grace, a grace which saves, a grace that brings about his will in one's life, It was Messiah who did the work to release that, make that available for you and for me. And once again, look at the end of verse 3. It speaks about in truth and love. And the implication is, it's when we're in the truth that we're going to be demonstrating the love of God. And this really is a Torah truth. We love God. I mentioned this in our previous studies from John's first epistle, we, we love God, how? With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also our neighbor as ourselves. It is me receiving the love of God through the truth of God, that gospel message. I become a recipient of God's love, his grace, his mercy that brings about peace, that restoration unto him. As an outcome of that, I now demonstrate my love for God, my Savior, by extending, manifesting, demonstrating love, the love that I have from God and for God to my neighbor, to others. So this truth manifests itself through love. Verse verse 4, he says, and I have rejoiced exceedingly because, and here again, the elder is speaking to believers. He says, I have rejoiced exceedingly because I have found out your children that they are walking in the truth. Just as we have received a commandment from the Father, and now I ask you, And he says, lady, speaking about what the the body of believers, this institution is supposed to do. We are supposed to be individuals, what we belong to, this instrument of God. We are called to demonstrate something, not just believe, but that faith is going to manifest itself out. We're not saved by manifesting it, we're saved by faith, by receiving the grace of God, but Having done so, it's going to produce something, and this is what he's speaking about in verse 4, and this is why he's rejoicing. Once more, I have rejoiced exceedingly because I found out. It is a, a statement of discovery. I have found out your children, they are walking in the truth. And notice how this walking in the truth, remember the context is the love of God, It manifests itself by what? Receiving a commandment from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, not as a new covenant am I writing, but, he says, one that we have had from the beginning. And I would emphasize this because it's very important when he says from the beginning, remember who's writing. This is John's second epistle. It is the same John, according to tradition, that wrote the Gospel of John. And, and John, and the reason why they, they state such a tradition is because the language, the style, the subject, many things that we see, peculiar things, when I say peculiar, things that are unique to the Gospel of John. Whoever wrote the Gospel of John Also, the same style, writing style, the same vocabulary, many of the same doctrines, what he emphasized in the gospel, also manifests itself in these three epistles. So it's not by chance. People can be argumentative, and that's fine. They can say, rightly so, we don't have in the Bible who wrote any of the gospels that's true. It's only tradition that says, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and John. That's right. But we see evidence within the text that the same one who wrote the Gospel of John also wrote these epistles. And he says here that, that he is not writing a new commandment, but what we've had from the beginning. And we know that John, he in the first verse talks about the beginning and he means just that. The same type of beginning as in the book of Genesis. So this commandment's not new. It's what God has always intended for humanity. That we demonstrate the love of God. So this is what's being emphasized here. We've had it from the beginning. In order that, notice what he says, that we love one another. So the truth of God, manifests itself by us loving one another. And when we're not walking in truth, what's going to be the outcome? Conflict. Now let me pause for a moment and just state why it's so dangerous today when when so much of the church as an institution is not teaching doctrine. Most believers today are theologically ignorant. And let me give you an example. I can remember that we were in Western Europe, and I was teaching, and I mentioned in the teaching, Yom Kippur, but I mentioned it in the English language. I was speaking to a group of people, and I had a translator. And this translator grew up as a believer, meaning that this translator's father was a pastor. This one was someone who had been around the faith, the Bible, what Christianity taught all of of his life. But it was very surprising that when I mentioned the Day of Atonement, in English, he knew the word day, day of, but the concept of atonement was very foreign to this one. I mentioned, you know, what's written in the book of Leviticus chapter 16 about the high priests and the two goats and that very important day. This one knew nothing of it. And here's the problem. When we don't know basic doctrines, what is atonement? What is redemption? What's the difference between them? When we aren't taught these things, it makes understanding the revelation of God in the New Covenant, that New Testament, very, very difficult. This one had heard of the high priest, but had no understanding what was the high priest, what was his responsibility, what's the Day of Atonement, what's the festivals of of the Bible, the biblical festivals that God calls his appointed days. This translator, a, a believer A person who grew up supposedly in the faith knew none of these things. And that's because in that country, and it's no different in most countries, theology, biblical doctrines, concepts in the scripture are not really dealt with to the extent they should be. So he says here, in order that we love one another, It's only when you are embracing biblical truth, the doctrines of Scripture, that you're going to understand what it means to love one another, how to do that, and that you have a responsibility to behave in that way, verse 6. And this is the love. Now, the definite article, the love, most Bibles won't put that in, but it's there in the original. It's speaking about a specific love, a unique love, the love that God sees and defines as love, not as the world does. So look again, verse 6. And this is the love in order that we walk according to his commandments. Very important that we see that. In order that we walk according to his commandments. And this is important because we see a correlation between understanding love through the commandment of God, what God instructs us to do. Those things that the law of Moses reveals. The law of Moses teaches us how to love. Now, the law of Moses does not give us the capacity to love, only that we're called to. It also reveals, just like the law of God, the Torah, defines what is righteous and unrighteous. It tells us what is loving and what's unloving. It teaches us our responsibilities to God and our responsibilities to other. Does not give us the power, only salvation and the entering of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, that anointing, that's what gives us the power to love. But the The commandments reveal to us what is a godly love. So he says here, in order that you walk, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the command, just as you have heard from the beginning. This is the second time he's emphasizing the beginning, and he means just that, the beginning of God's revelation. God revealed early on about love. It was God's love that caused him to, to create the world. It was God's love that, that caused him to put Adam and Chava in the garden of Aden in order that everything that they would need would be there. It was God's love that caused him to put in the middle the tree of life and it was because of the nature of the world that he created having to do with choice. There was that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of this is so that that man could choose, rightly choose love, choose the life that God has instructed us to live out. So notice what he says. Same verse, verse 6 in the second part. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning in order that in it you shall walk very important and walking i've shared with you as well the term for for jewish law is halacha halacha is taken from the word halicha walking it speaks about a lifestyle a behavior what god wants us to do now we're not saved by our behavior But our behavior is important to God. What does he say to to the the congregations in Revelation chapters 2 and 3? I know your works. Over and over he says that. He says, I'm coming and my reward is with with me in order to give to everyone according to his works. Works are important. They have eternal consequences. Works don't save us, but... They demonstrate our salvation to others. They, they give witness to that, and they are also related to the rewards that we will receive. Look now to, to verse seven. He says here, "Because many deceivers, they have entered into the world. Now, this deceit is going to grow stronger in the last days. And once again, we're moving here when we begin verse 7. We're moving to a, a, a context that relates best to the last days. Do I say exclusively to the last days? No. But, but it is especially relevant as we approach those last days. So look again, verse, verse 7 at the end where it says, And many, at the beginning actually, many deceivers... They have entered into the world. And how do we know the deceivers? Very simply, they do not confess. They're not confessing. It's significant because they use a participle instead of a verb. Why is that important? Because a participle is a a verb that also functions like an adjective. It has a descriptive quality. So when you want to describe someone by an action, in the Greek New Testament, it frequently uses a participle because it wants to describe something. And that is, one who is a deceiver. This is one that does not confess Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, having come in the flesh. What is that? One who is a deceiver denies the incarnation. What's the incarnation? That, that Yeshua who always existed. Never was a time that Yeshua, the son of God, did not exist. He was never born in the heavens. He is eternal, like his father. When we speak about the birth, we're talking about how he took on human flesh and entered into this world. The world incarnate simply means in the flesh. So if someone denies the incarnation of Messiah, they are denying his divinity, they don't believe that he is God, they don't believe that he should be worshipped, and this one is a deceiver. So you need to be careful. There are many people that, that I know that are popular, especially within the Messianic movement, And you need to to ask them, are you a believer in the incarnation, that that Messiah, that, that he is God and he became human flesh, fully man, fully God? If they don't believe that, and I can tell you that many dance around that issue. They don't want to come out and say clearly what they believe. I was asked, here again, I was in a southern city of Israel, and an individual who came from a, a Russian-speaking congregation, and I was introduced to him at a, a event, and he said, I want to ask you a question. I heard that you're a believer. I said, yes, I'm a believer. What was his question? Is Yeshua? Is he divine? Is it appropriate to worship him? How did I answer that? I said one word, yes. Yes, I believe that. Didn't have to dance around it. Didn't have to say a whole bunch of things. Just simply, yes. And when someone isn't willing to simply say yes to that, it is because they are part of the many deceivers that have entered into this world who do not, who are not confessing Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, that he has come in the flesh. This one is the deceiver and the Antichrist, meaning he is a servant. He's a deceiver and he's serving the Antichrist. This is how the Antichrist is going to behave. He is going to attack the identity of Messiah. He will attack the divinity of Yeshua. He will say, oh, you're not supposed to worship Yeshua. You're not supposed to pray to him. You're not supposed to believe that he is God. Well, one who says such things, that you're not supposed to this, you're not supposed to that, that one is a deceiver. And that one is under the influence of the Antichrist. Why? That's the Antichrist attitude, his doctrine, not the doctrine of God. Therefore, now verse 8, he says, you watch out. Literally, you watch yourselves in order. Now, in this verse, we have a change between the, the Nestle Allen Greek text and Texas Receptus. And the only difference here is this. In this verse, where we left off in the Texas Receptus, he says, you watch out, and it's going to have an a outcome an effect, it's going to impact all believers. Meaning this, this falling away, this false doctrine, he wants everyone to watch out because it's going to have an impact. So so the Texas Receptus switches to the first person plural, meaning we. The, The Nestle Allen and most English translations follow that, they will not have it in the first person plural, but the second person plural, meaning you, you all. So he says, you all, watch yourselves, they, both Greek texts has this, in order that we will not perish what we have, have worked out, meaning that we won't lose, we won't see destruction in the things that we have worked, what we have done. But instead of suffering loss, we will have a, a full reward. That's what he says here, that we will receive the full reward, verse, verse 9. Everyone who deviates. That's the best way that we can talk about this word. It is a word. Now, some in the, the Nestle allen will say, go before but, but really, it's talking about, and go before means a progressive standpoint. Now, this is what's happening among many believers. They are buying into a progressive mindset. For example, there's a, a congregation in the Washington, D.C. area, McLean Bible Church, and under its leader, that, that congregation is buying into a progressiveness in politics and in in social justice, which is not really about the justice of the scripture, but what man thinks is just, so we see this this progressiveness impacting the congregation. Now, the Nestle Allen uses that term for progressing. Here in the Texas Receptus, it uses a different word for deviating. It means to embark. But from, So it's a deviation to go forward, but from that, to move away. So it's a deviation. And he says here, look carefully at verse 9. Everyone who deviates and does not remain in, and notice what it says, the teaching of Messiah. Now that word for teaching is a Greek word. Many other Bibles translates it with the word doctrine, the doctrine of Messiah what Messiah taught, what the Word of God reveals about him. There's an emphasis in this second epistle about believing the right teaching concerning Messiah, what he revealed about himself. And one of the places that Messiah spoke greatly about his identity, guess where it is? The Gospel of John. So it shouldn't surprise us here that he says everyone who is deviating and does not remain in the teaching, the doctrine of Messiah. Such a one does not have God. The one remaining in the teaching of of Messiah, this one, meaning the one who's remaining in the doctrine of Messiah, this one, also the Father and the Son has. So both the Father and Son, this one has. So if you don't, and this is a a big, big takeaway from this verse, if you don't remain in the doctrine of Messiah, what the Bible says about him, who he is, you don't have a relationship with him, but realize, you don't have a relationship with God the Father. You don't know God. You don't have a covenant with him. A covenant that is a kingdom covenant that's going to lead to to the blessings of God and eternity with him in that kingdom. So this is huge. This has massive implications to it. And that's why more and more we see the, the doctrine of Messiah being challenged. You say, how so? Well, let me give you an example. More and more theological seminaries do not believe that Yeshua is unique, meaning that he's the only son of God. They will will embrace a, a religious pluralism, which the Antichrist is going to be part of initially. They will say, well, Muhammad was the son of God, Buddhist was the son of God. They will not see that Yeshua is unique and he's the only savior. So when you deny the uniqueness of that gospel message as the only message for salvation, then then you have no relationship with either the Son nor the Father. You do not know the God of Scripture. Now look at verse 10. If someone comes to you, and this doctrine, this teaching, he does not bring, So now there's someone, and he comes to you, maybe in a service, in a meeting, in a home group, whatever it is, says, and if one should come to you, and this doctrine he does not bring, do not receive him in the house. Don't let him come in. Don't let him be part of it. Now, this shows us something. There's a place for teaching, and there's a place for evangelism. And I have seen many times when I've begun to teach, and some, say, well, I've invited this individual. He, he's not probably a believer. I'm not sure about him. And what happens? He begins to disrupt. He begins to put forth false things, and he is very hostile and antagonistic to the truth. Why? because he belongs to the Antichrist. Now, he won't say that, he won't confess that, he won't acknowledge it, but eyes of discernment will recognize this because he does not remain in the doctrines of Messiah. So he says, do not receive him into the house. And also notice this, and to rejoice with him, do not say. Don't rejoice with him. For the one who, with him rejoicing, participates with his evil works, his evil deeds. So don't rejoice with him. And this is the problem. A non-believer cannot worship God. There are some commentators that see this rejoicing as an idiom for worship. We, we worship God with, with joyfulness. Now we can also worship God with lamentation. We worship God fasting, repenting, confessing our sins, being grieved by our, our wickedness, our rebelliousness, and seeking his mercy and his forgiveness. All of that is worship, but primarily when we talk about a praise of worship, it's worship with thanksgiving and joy and such. And it says, don't let this one worship with you. He is dangerous. He is a threat. Before he's brought into a fellowship of worship, he needs to to embrace the truth. And if you you embrace him and want him to be in one of these seeker-friendly congregations, what are you doing? He says, you are participating with his evil works. So I've been asked many times, what do you think of this seeker movement? I think it's from the pit of hell. I think that they water down things so much, for example, and let's just be honest. For example, one who, who probably is the chief right now of such a movement is, is Andy Stanley. And I hear him say all the time, and I and he mentions one time that uh, you know, people who disagree with me probably have just heard sound bites. They probably never heard a full message or two. Well, let me tell you, I've heard probably over 150 messages by Andy Stanley. So I am in a position, I've heard numerous series from him. He is dangerous. Why? He says such things as this, and he knows this is true. You can listen to not too many messages. He says it all the time. He'll say, now, if you're not a Jesus follower, that's okay. No, it's not, (laughs) because that person who's not following Yeshua, is heading to hell. He's an enemy of God. He is one that is going to be condemned eternally. It's not okay that he's not a follower of Yeshua. It is disastrous. He's an enemy of God in that state. So no one would say who the Holy Spirit is leading. No one would say, you know, you don't don't believe that? That's okay. That's well. That's okay. That's not a problem. It is a humongous problem. It's an eternal problem. That's why when it says here, for the one who says to him, rejoice, meaning worship, this one participates in his evil deeds. Verse 12. Now, let me just say, this is serious. The worship of God, walking in truth, is important. And the truth is the whole Bible. Don't unhitch part of the Bible from another. That is a dangerous deceiver who is being led by the Antichrist and not the true Messiah. Now, people say that's harsh words. It is harsh words. It needs to be. It is dangerous. His doctrine is not pleasing to God, nor is it based upon truth. Therefore, we read in verse 12 and 13, the last two verses, as he begins to wrap up this rather short epistle, he says, Many things having to write to you, but I do not want through paper and ink. So he says, I have many things that I want to communicate to you. But I don't want to do so writing with, with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and mouth to mouth to speak. Now, we oftentimes in English say face to face. In Greek, the idiom was mouth to mouth, which makes really more, more sense. Mouth to mouth to speak. In order that our joy should be fulfilled. Very important. Our joy should be fulfilled. What's he saying here? It's as you know more of the doctrines of the scripture that you're going to become more joyful. That you're going to have, and remember, joy produces strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. uses a different word for joy in Hebrew, chedva, but it speaks about a joy. A joy that empowers us. And that's why it says, in order that our joy should be fulfilled. And that joy is in the process of being fulfilled, now being fulfilled, and will continue. It speaks about an ongoing work through joy. And now, our last verse, verse 13, where it says, Greet you, the children of your sister. Elected sister, meaning this, this institution, the ones who are children of the body of Messiah, the, the local assembly, the, the church at large, we could say. Believers, the children of your, your sister, elected sister, greet you. And then the last word, amen. And let me just simply point out here, that, that it speaks here of a greeting. And this concept of greeting is truly desiring good things, godly things, righteous things for, for others. And that's what these ones who are children of, the real body of believer, the congregation of the Lord, wants for others. So let me conclude with this. Do you want to be a righteous, godly influence on others? It's only when you embrace the doctrines of the Bible, the truth of the Holy Scriptures. And when we sit back and think, well, we'll decide what's important, what we can ignore, what we can, can, cannot deal with, and what we, we will, and we'll put it in a way that, that, that's pleasing to the world. That is not, not what a a man is called to do who is called to teach the scriptures we need to be people who are are committed fully to the truth of god all the truth of god but let me say at the end it's going to be the truth concerning the divinity the incarnation of messiah his true identity that is going to come under attack and we're living in that time already Well, close with that until next week, and we study the final epistle of John, third epistle of John, in next week's study. Until then, may God bless you as you walk into the truth. Shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org.